welcome everybody to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I'm here with my friend, economist, Dr. Matt Saloy today, and we are talking about keeping veterinary care affordable. How's it look from the outside? How does it look from a numbers perspective from the economist's point of view? That's what we get into today. Guys, I hope you will enjoy it. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Matt Saloy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Good to see you again. You, uh, it's you as well. Uh, I love having you here. Uh, for those who do not uh, know you, you are a PhD economist. Uh, you work primarily with the veterinary management groups. Uh, you are uh, the president of their veterinary study groups program, correct? Or am yes. I am I mischaracterizing that? Yeah. Okay. Well, someone made a change that I don't know yet, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's every day I wake up and they're like, are you in charge? I, I was yesterday. I was, yeah, right. <laughs> see how, we'll see how the day ends. Oh, man. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed our conversations. I have really, uh, you know, as I, we're getting towards the end of the year and I look back and there's always people at the end of the year that I go, man, this is someone I met this year that I, my life is richer and I really enjoy them. And you were in that category for me. You were someone that I did not know you until this year. And I've just, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and I'm glad that you're, you're back on the podcast again. And, uh, and thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, that's super. Thanks. Um, and me too. And you just, gave me an early Christmas present because I've followed you for years. I'm like, yeah, Andy, I get to talk to him again. This is awesome. (laughs) All right. right. Well, cool. I wanted to bring you on here. You have a unique perspective as an economist who works in veterinary medicine. And I just, I've I've always got sort of questions about where our industry is going and things like that. And you bring a unique perspective. My question for you today is about the affordability of care in veterinary medicine. And I I bring this up a lot on the podcast because it is something that I think about. I'm really stuck in the balance of wanting a good standard of living for veterinary professionals, right? I want our support staff, our paraprofessionals to make a living wage. I want my colleagues, the veterinarians, to not be buried in student debt and to not feel guilty all the time for charging prices that are going to help them get out of uh, the debt that they're in and and to live a standard of life where they're comfortable coming home uh, after the sacrifices that they make. And I, I feel strongly about that. And at the same time, I really don't want pet ownership to become a status symbol or a luxury item. I, I think about the value of pets and the human-animal bond and what it means to people. And I go, I don't want us to price uh, pet ownership. And not intentionally, but I don't want pet ownership to be priced above what a lot of people can uh, can afford. And so as I look at, at the way that our industry is going, there's increased corporatization. There is, you know, we've got inflationary pressures. We've got raising wages in, 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 the, in the workplace. Uh, what do you see at, at a high level? Let's, start, let's just start out kind of wide and say, am I, do you think I'm justified to have a concern about affordability of care going forward? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just affordability of, of veterinary care. It, it's affordability of everything right now. That's such a yeah. It's a yeah. it's a topic. As we're you know in a period of inflation that we haven't seen um, since since the eighties. Honestly, now uh, we're not in a period of hyperinflation. So you know, just want to ground everyone there. Yes, this is high inflation. It is concerning, and I would add, you know, as an economist, this is probably the most concerning thing about our economy right now, above and beyond whether it is or will be in a recession. 
but it's far from the the hyper dangerous inflation that that countries like you know Argentina and and Germany experienced in their history. We're we're nowhere near there, right? So I think that's that's important context and background. But absolutely, a, a key area to be concerned about. Um, and I think something that we've thought through or been thinking about in the profession for for years, honestly, it's just coming to a point where I think there's a lot of tense conversations. Um, and it's right to want care for your pet to not just be in uh, the realm of 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 the rich, right, or um, something in that that space. That so there there are a few things that are as ubiquitous as a pet in the United States, like more people have a pet than have an iPhone, right? So, you know, it transcends income and, and so should veterinary care. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how you look at the landscape that is driving prices in vet medicine. So I, I've got a lot of ideas about about what's going on, but I, I'm seeing steadily upward trends in pricing. I see people continually raising prices. I hear rumors of vet yeah. clinics, you know, doing a 40% price increase over a year. And I just go, are you serious? Um, is that, I don't have data to back that up. Can you validate or disprove the idea that prices are going up? And then could you start to elaborate a little bit about, about what the factors are that are actually driving that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yes, definitely validate that. And, you know, looking at sources like, um, the consumer price index and and uh, you know vet success has been doing some interesting work here and reporting on that um, you know the average cost of of veterinary care veterinary services you know before covid you know we're in the 3 to 5% range that was pretty typical year over year and of course you'd have the the individual practices that would be doing something different some not raising prices at all and others like you say you know 20 30 or 40% you know, right now we're hovering around 10% or so on average in terms of year-over-year um, price rises in, in veterinary services. And like you, I still hear some of those stories from individual practices of saying, um, I've, I rose my prices 20% last year and I rose them again another 20% this year and, and their clients haven't batted an eye. Um, some are providing more more pushback. So, you know, like anything, you're going to see a distribution of what's happening out there. But on average, we're pretty parallel to the general consumer price index, which is the overall measure of inflation for goods and services produced in the economy. Um, but you're going to get a lot of market and regional variability to that for sure. Okay, that that, uh, that I actually that actually makes me feel good. Like I I like to believe that I, <laughs> I know that our prices are going up. I like to feel that we're at least in line. We're not doing the academia thing where tuition prices just jump up and jump up and jump up at significantly higher rates than the consumer price index. So uh, that that makes me happy. What are um, what what's where's the pressure coming from? Um, what is what is put what is what is pushing prices up? Yeah, you know, two big things, and and it's going to come at you know any business, including a, a typical practice from multiple areas. Uh, but you know, supply chain, you know, the cost of goods sold, your your cogs, and the cost of inputs into delivering veterinary care that's going up. Whether it's you know your your real estate and your rent going up or uh, the cost of medicines, um, the cost of supplies, other things, th those are increasing um, in part due to a supply chain that continues to be under pressure uh, from low inventories and other things that's happening in our economy and, and at large. Uh, but the biggest piece, I think, is probably labor. You know, in this, in this tense, tight labor market we have, the competition for talent um, is, is pretty fierce. And so the need to 
offer more and increasingly competitive wages, benefits, and 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 other non-monetary things. It's there, and so that's going to drive up the the cost of veterinary care because the single largest cost center for pretty much every veterinary practice I know of has been and will continue to be uh, labor, their talent, uh, for good reason. Because veterinary professionals, DVMs, technicians, practice managers, assistants—they're all they're all trained, you know, uh, to deliver veterinary care, support the delivery of veterinary care, which can be very complicated at times. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense, and that tracks kind of what I've been saying. I. I like the fact that I like the fact that we're we're able to raise wages. I think it's 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 way overdue yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons. Okay, so so here we are. Here's the rub, as we say. Uh, we like we like we like raises. We like wages to go up, and we do need to attract talent. And um, you know, the increasing cost of goods sold, like that's not a decision that we make. That is that is us adapting to the world that is being applied to us. And at the same yeah. time. We have both said very much that we like to try to keep uh, keep uh, keep care affordable from an econo- uh, economist perspective. Matt, how, how do we square these two conflicting uh, conflicting conundrums? Yeah, it's not easy, right? I mean, especially if you're in a position as being a practice owner or a, a manager, um, you want you want to pay your people appropriately and competitively, um, you know, above and beyond a, a living wage. Uh, and we've seen some positive momentum there in our profession. I think we touched on last time when we talked, Andy, around what we've seen in technician pay and some of the, you know, the, the tremendous positive momentum we've seen in the last uh, 18 to 24 months. I'm not sure, honestly, if we would have seen that momentum had we not been in the labor shortage. Um, I agree with that. Part yeah. Of the, yeah, that's part of the good news. Um, and I'm sure there's still tremendous runway to, to continue to, to increase that at a level that they're contributing um, to the practice. And we've seen this too in starting salaries for, for DVMs. They've um, gone up significantly the last few years, the last year, especially so. You know, I'll remind everybody here that for a period of years following the 2008 recession, average earnings of, of new DVMs was actually going down once you adjusted for inflation. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, there was an oversupply or a perceived oversupply mm-hmm. demand for veterinary services. Like every industry, was going through a bit of a some downward pressure too, and that was having some impact. Just now, if you look at salaries, new starting salaries for DBMs, they hit the trend line of what they would have been had the 2008 recession not have happened. And so, myself and others have called this, you know, a 12-year, you know, market correction. Honestly, that's been you know slow and steady, and really just increased pace the last few years there. So you know, yes, good progress has been made, but let's keep in mind some of the you know the challenging years that you know this profession experienced following the two thousand eight recession. As have a lot of clients and people as well. Some are still recovering from that. Okay, that's, uh, I I graduated in two thousand eight. Right into that, um, one of my oh. colleagues, um, Mary Gardner, is like. You try to explain it to, to new graduates today. So, so this is one of my friends who also speaks at vet schools. And you're like, listen, you sound so old. You're like, back in my day, people thought there were too many vets and we couldn't get jobs. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, yeah. What, um, you know, labor markets are sticky, especially veterinary medicine, because there's a lag, right? I mean, it takes four years at least to produce, you know, a DVM post, you know, undergraduate degree. 
And, you know, markets are constantly evolving. But, you know, you're honestly on this four or five year delay where, you know, in the labor market, particularly in veterinary medicine and other health professions, like you're still producing graduates based on market conditions four or five years ago. So, you know, it takes time for these things to adjust. Do you think that that is going to, well, let's try to figure out how to ask this question without getting me in too much trouble. But I mean, do you see the long creation time for vet professionals, both both for veterinarians, but then also for vet technicians? Is that pushing our market to towards alternative sources for care? Um, I'm talking about, um, is that going to push forward uh, technician licensing, uh, the uh, nurse practitioner level uh, healthcare providers, th- things like that? Is that is that where this goes or not necessarily? Yeah, I mean, it can and not necessarily all at the same time. You know, I, I I think it's more around it's less around the quantity of graduates and and more around the quality of graduates and what they're able to do once they're exit from whatever training, whether it's a new a new DVM or a, a new credential technician. You know, what are they capable of doing and what value are they going to be contributing um, to the practice and and to their clients? Because the biggest constraint for any business owner of a veterinary practice or otherwise is profitability and performance in terms of what they're able to give back to their staff in terms of, you know, additional raises and, and, and benefits and so forth. And so you need to be, you need to grow, you need to uh, improve profitability if you're going to be able to um, also improve the, the wages and earnings of, of your staff and your people. So is that a, is that in your mind, it's probably the answer is both, but in your mind, is that a training issue or is that a practice management issue? This sort of increasing of profitability? Yeah, I think it's probably all of it. And we all have heard different opinions and stories on that around, you know, uh, I'll ad lib this, but you know, you, I'm sure you've heard it too, Andy, around, oh, these graduates, they just don't produce like they used to. I feel like every generation says that about the generation that comes after it, right? Just, I think that's just part of just the reality. I don't know if that's really true. It's hard to really assess that because, you know, you've got to think back around, well, what really were you capable of doing 25 years ago? Were you really any different? I mean, are there metrics? We certainly have perceptions around, sure, I was 10 times better, but is that really true? I I don't, I don't know. But the world's more complicated too, right? You know, I think for any, any professional, um, and you're having to come to terms with, with, uh, you know, different, different ways of, of providing care that probably weren't a part of life 25 years ago. And so everything that's oh, sort of the other. There's no, there's no doubt that medicine has gotten more complicated. Yes. There's no, there's just no doubt. And, and the number of skills that veterinarians today are expected to master coming out of the gates compared to what someone who came out in 1990 was expected. About. Like there's, there's just different things and it's not it's not throwing shade at anybody but it's just the truth is is you know uh medical technology continues to improve and scope of services com- uh, continue to improve and i get to talk to a lot of people on this podcast you know we're talking about genetic testing and genetic screening and things like that i think that stuff is fascinating yeah. it's not it's not something i learned about you know in in 2008 even uh graduating from vet school this was just un- unheard of stuff so you know monoclonal monoclonal antibody therapies are just like this is awesome stuff, but it's things that we weren't responsible for knowing and being up to speed on as we came out the gates. And now uh, new graduates are. So they've just got, they've got a lot more things, uh, I think, to be to be aware of. And, and they're all getting trained by specialists as well. So they're getting trained to the higher and higher standard of care 
than we were in the past. I, I'm not convinced that that's a net positive for the profession. I, I, yeah, I hear you. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to draw parallels from my own profession too. you know, economics. I'm thinking around, you know, when I graduated with the, my PhD, it's like, I thought I knew it. You know, you think you, oh, you know so much. You've spent all these years investing your education. And then it's like, you know, I could, I wasn't capable of doing anything outside of a textbook. It's like, you know, like asked to do something like, where, where is that in econ 101 textbook? I don't see that there. How do you, how am I supposed to do this? Yeah. I think any profession you, you're on the job is so important. And I, I think a lot of it also comes down to good mentorship and good leadership. And, and those first few years post-graduation of any discipline that is a, a trade and a profession like veterinary medicine or, or economics or whatever is, are you, are you going under the employ of someone who's going to help you grow and, and take what you've learned the last few years and put it into a practical term and an ability to translate knowledge into, into action. Again, whether it's delivering economic advice, God help you if you're in that position, or more importantly, you know, delivering veterinary care. Uh, I I think there's so, so much similarity there. Hey, everybody, just want to jump in real quick and give you a heads up that the April Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming at you. This is the fla- the flagship, the granddaddy, the mama of them all. This is our original conference. It is here in my hometown, Greenville, South Carolina. Guys, this is a communication business strategy conference. We are doing all internal communication and strategy this year. It's about talking to your team, getting them on the same page, making sure messages don't get dropped, making sure we're communicating well, we're treating each other well, making sure that we are on the same page and not repeating work or having people stand around and not know what to do with themselves. That's what this conference is all about. Guys, this is a peer conference. We do our choose your own adventure sessions. We make up about 40% of the uh, of the of the agenda of the conference here on the spot with our attendees so we can make sure we're doing what they want to do. It is really a magical experience. If you've never been to an Uncharted conference, this is a great one to jump into. I'll put a link in the show notes. Get registered, come to Greenville. I'll see you in person. Guys, let's get back into this episode. Talk to me a bit about about opportunities for sort of for efficiency and increased productivity. So when you step back and look at the profession from a, from an economic standpoint, are there areas where you say these are these are traditionally bloated areas of expenditure that that could be cut down? Are there obvious uh you know trends in the way that we're practicing medicine where you just say just based on the numbers this is uh these are these are real opportunities to sort of make some shifts or make some cuts or make some alterations that are going to help us keep uh keep up with upward pricing pressures uh, and then and then also keep care affordable at the same time? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big question. Like we got to build a bridge to get there, I think, a little bit. And, and for, okay. you know, making the connection, I think, between, you know, our discussion on labor and, and paying people fair wages and living wages to what that means, why it's related to productivity is so important. And I think, you know, really germane, uh, context for this is this is is the labor shortage that we're in, right? In this tight labor market, and you know, there's lots of discussion around how are we going to meet the demands for veterinary care. There's not enough people, whether that's technicians or or veterinarians, and so let's let's expand, let's let's grow our class sizes, let's add more schools, and and no doubt there there's a runway there. Um, my perspective has been. We need to. Yes, there's a runway. We, let's let's be mindful of how long we make that runway, because if we 
try to attack this problem of uh, blockages and, and getting a vet appointment or, or removing frictions in our labor market by just adding more people to it. We are contributing to the largest cost center in our veterinary practice. And so if we keep adding more people to our practices, we're going to have to increase the, the price of veterinary care unless, unless we match that or supersede it with advancements in productivity and efficiency so that those price increases aren't necessary or not as much as they would have been. In other words, instead of focusing on the top line in terms of your, your prices, focusing on the bottom line and your cost and how you can deliver care more efficiently, more productively. And maybe along the way, if we do that, we might find we, we, maybe we don't need as many people as we thought we needed in the future because we can meet that, those needs with additional efficiencies and productivities, which is going to translate into more affordable care, which is obviously what we want for our clients and, and for our industry and profession. No, that, that, that definitely makes sense. I, I think as I sort of just try to step back and get my head around it, um, there's, um, there's a real pinch point here that I continue to see where um, I see veterinary professionals uh, unable to hire and they are thus work just working harder. Yeah. They're like, well, I must, I must work harder. I must carry the load. And, and I, 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 I hear from, from doctors who have a real problem stepping back and they have a real problem telling people, I'm sorry, I can't get you in today or I can't get you in this week. And so I think that that's really a challenge. And so I think, I think what I'm really looking for, I guess, uh, at this point is even, even high level ideas about like, where does that, where can that relief come from? How, uh, how can we release that tension valve? How, you know, given our, our, given our realities with the labor market, what, what knobs can we turn to, to try to make, to try to make a change in, in how we're running our businesses? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and I think, I think if you're, if you're, if you're looking at not just what's happening in your practice, but you're looking at what's happening in, in the profession and probably what a lot of your, your peers are, are experiencing here is we've got a situation where everyone is, is, is working harder than they ever have before. At least that's how it feels. Right. And I think maybe maybe we've talked about this last time, you know, this is the, the sad, tragic irony of inefficiency is you can actually work harder, but not get more done. Uh, and you don't always see it like it's beneath the surface. Um, because, you know, we look at production a lot. There is a, there is a subtlety between production and productivity. Production is how many patients you saw in a week. And maybe you're seeing more patients than you ever have in a given week. But productivity mm-hmm. takes that and says, how many patients did you see per hour? Or if you saw how many patients in a week, how many hours did you put in that week? It's, it's time stamp somehow. And if you're seeing more patients, but you're putting in more hours, it could be such that that you're actually putting in more hours than what you are uh, patients there. And so your your total production may have increased, yeah. but your productivity actually decreased, which is such a huge contributor to burnout, right? And so here's, yeah. here's the other mm-hmm. dividend. If we focus on productivity, not only is there a workforce dividend because we might not need as many people um, and we're not feeling so pained there by open roles that aren't getting filled, but there's a well-being dividend too, because if you can be more efficient and make it easier just to do your jobs, um, you're not going to feel so burnt out too. So there's definitely a sweet spot here where by focusing on productivity, 
um, you've got these dual dividends to 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 workforce and well and well being. And I think you know that that's an important context because many people think of you know uh, productivity or efficiency as squeezing the sponge. Like, oh, great, my my yeah. product owner wants to be more efficient. That's just going to be mean squeezing the life out of me. No, it's really the opposite. It's trying to put forward the right technologies, the right people, the right workflows so that it's working for you and, and making it easier to, to, to deliver veterinary care. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I feel like the word efficiency has gotten a, a bad rap. Yes. And it's taken on sort of a negative connotation. Because you're right. Like, it, it's, it's the experience that people have is when, when the boss comes and says, we need to work on efficiency, that generally means we have to work harder. And, and, and that's not, I think that's what most of us mean. I, I've really started to hear the term organization come back. Like, oh, we need to get organized. And I, I think that that's, I understand why people are making that shift is efficiency feels like uh, work, work hard. It's code for we're going to work harder. Whereas organization is getting our ducks in a row and communicating well, training people, onboarding, things like that. Absolutely. Uh, and I think so, it's an important mindset shift, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are there metrics that you look at for productivity? So if I want to say, how productive am I? Well, I'm going home at the end of the day and I'm tired and I'm saying, am I being productive with my time or am I just working harder? I mean, wh- how do you how do you know? Yeah, so, so there's a lot of different metrics. There's no one single one that's going to give you all the answers there. You know, one measure, which is... Um, I'll, I'll throw out there, which is actually one that's um, a broad economic measure for the U.S. economy is output per worker. And the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes this number, um, which basically is an index that adds up all the inputs um, into producing um, goods and services across our economy and then looks at the outputs that are translated from those inputs and then does it on a, on a per hour basis. Um, and, and, you know, labor productivity, so that's a measure of labor productivity, which is, a, you know, important bellwether yeah. for the quality of an economy um, in terms of how good it's doing, how it's evolving and, and generating more value so that it can translate into higher wages for people. Um, and a similar metric there in veterinary medicine would be, you know, patients per DVM per hour. I've looked at that, you know, through different data sets. What we saw the last couple of years is that was significantly impacted, both you know in the broad economy and in veterinary medicine. And in fact, the the, the quarterly numbers for this year, the Q1 or Q2 number for 2022, uh, was the biggest decline in U.S. labor productivity since the 1940s. Huge, you know, and it contrasts with all that we hear around, you know, with remote work that people are more productive, and, and no doubt. There, there, I'm sure there are circumstances yeah. where that's true. But I think a lot of those discussions are conflating with production, again, with productivity. Like, I've never worked more. Like, assuredly, I've never answered more emails in the last two years than I have now. But I'm also putting in more hours in order to respond to those emails. So am I more productive? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm definitely doing more. But am I translating that into more efficiency? I, I you know, if I did the numbers, I'm not quite so sure. Um, so I think, you know, COVID created a lot of barriers to doing your work effectively, a lot of frictions that we didn't have before. And some of these frictions have, have stayed with us. Um, and we experienced that in veterinary medicine, too. When you look at a metric like uh, uh, patients per DVM per hour, that went down. AVMA has reported on that and others have as well. Um, and so it, it's so important to look at that because you're working harder just to get the same amount of work done. That Again, it's that, that's that tragic irony that you don't really see. 
Um, and it's something definitely for us to address um, going forward. Well, what is it? What's the driving? What's the driving force behind that? Why, why do why do we see fewer patients per doctor per hour in the last two years? Well, how it began is it is it because is a loss of support staff? Is that what it is? That's a big piece of it. Yeah. So you know, in the early days of COVID, and and then you know, in the months that followed, it was it was doing everything that we did in order to deliver care in the most you know uh, complicated environment imaginable. Right. So switching to curbside care, taking payments over the phone, deep cleaning exam rooms between patient visits breaking your staff into teams, keeping a limited number of people in and out of the practice at a given time. Um, and that that created, you know, uh, inefficiencies. I mean, just simple things like taking payments over the phone, right? You've got yeah. like a 16-digit credit card number that someone's giving that number to you. And then at the 15th number, they get it wrong. So then they have to repeat the whole number all over again, right? I mean, that should be like a two-second <laughs> swipe, right? Instead, it turns into yeah. a minute transaction. So, you know, things like that add up. And so that created significant inefficiencies that hampered the ability to, to deliver care more effectively and productively. And, you know, appointments took longer. That was another thing because of some of these, these realities that we were doing with COVID. You know, how and why that's still persisting, yeah, I, I'm hearing things such as, uh, you know, my staff got used to 30-minute appointments. They really don't like 15 and 20-minute appointments, so I'm intentionally <laughs> keeping things yeah. longer, just, right? And so, that that's going to create backlogs, it's going to create blockages, and and certainly it's going to create inefficiencies. Is that the right thing to do? I think there's a, you know, there's definitely an emotional answer to that. And there's also, you know, a business answer too. They always have to be in balance. Um, I, I think we're still there. I think we're coming out of it. But definitely, I think we're still in the middle of this where we haven't quite found what's working truly yet most effectively in this post-COVID environment that we find ourselves navigating through. Yeah, I, I think there's an optimal workload, uh, not maximal, but but optimal that we're kind of going for. I've been using the metaphor of veterinarians as widget makers a yeah. lot recently. And it, it, because it, it sort of strips the emotion out of it, you know, just to sort of say, there's a lot of people who have a widget factory, which is their practice, and they have the capacity with their current staff to make 500 widgets in a day. And their community wants 700 widgets a day. And that that helps me sort of uh, rationalize it and say, well, we have a capacity that we can maintain. A lot of people are pu- pushing their machines until their machines are glowing red, you know, and and, uh, and people are dropping out of the out of the workforce because they don't want to work in the in the widget factory that's just uh, pushed way beyond capacity. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's there's definitely room for efficiency and things like that. But it's just um I, I think it's I think it's one of the real challenges that we have or, you know, use the example of we went to half an hour appointments and the staff doesn't really want to go back. And I say, well, if we're pushing beyond capacity and that's how we've adjusted and we're kind of back in capacity, there's there's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, I, I, one of the, I think one of the real challenges I think as a leader is helping people, including ourselves, to understand what is real and what is our perception. You know, there's a lot of days that I feel like God, I'm working so hard. And then I kind of look back at my day and go, I was wildly inefficient today. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I worked all day, but I, I did work that other people had already done. Like I, I was, there was redundancy in what I did. Uh, you know, I, I could have been more organized. I made three ch- trips out of the house because I didn't get organized, you know, at the end of my day to go do these errands and I had to come back and it was just poorly done. And I could have done this yesterday when I was on the other side of town and it would have already been taken care of and whatever your things are. Um, I, 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 it's always hard to, to determine, I think, 
how to be fair to yourself and to others and say, yes, we are working at maximum or optimal efficiency versus, yeah, we're working hard, but but we're we're not working uh, as smart as we could possibly work. Does that does that resonate at all? Oh, so does. I mean, it boils down to that adage we've all heard, right? Work smarter, not harder. I mean, that's basically it comes down to that. And we can work so hard, and it feels like we've done so much, but you've got to look at the numbers to actually tell you what you've accomplished in the amount of time that you've put into it. You know, this is why I don't run. I hate exercise in all its forms. Like I just would rather, you know, be out to dinner with my wife. But, you know, if you're looking for, if you're looking to, to, to trim the fat, right? If you talk to a personal trainer or someone, you know, in exercise science, they'll tell you heavy cardio is not the way to do it. Like, sure, you're going to get a strong mm-hmm. heart. But I, actually, the optimal area is is like fast, brisk walking. Like that optimizes your yeah. heart rate to focus in on, on, on burning the fat, not heavy cardio. And so it's just like, you know, you think you're working so hard to get and you're getting that outcome done. But when you translate it into the numbers and you take a step back, like you'll find that there's probably a better way to do what you just did. As you sort of look ahead uh, at 2023, what is your economist wish for the profession? What, like, what would you like to see happen? Yeah, you know, I think we've... We've got our challenges, right? Never ever have have things been so interesting in our in our profession, and you know certainly the the world around us. But I think we also have such significant opportunity to transform veterinary medicine now, right? Like this is the moment of change here, and we don't want to lose that that momentum. Like during COVID, we changed because we had to. Now we can change because we want to. Um, and I think I think everyone's ready for that. You know, we 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 began this conversation with affordability, you know, and that's that's this is an issue right now for every every household in our country affording anything. For many, it's it's food or rent, and you know, inflation is just making that that worse. And how are we going to fix that? How are we going to address affordability of care? How are we going to address our own well being challenges? You know, we talk more than ever about burnout, but are we really, truly leading towards a, a solution here? Yeah. And, and as well as, you know, our workforce situation, right? Like, you know, every day it's something new uh, or the same headline, you know, we we can't hire. And yet, you know, the same turnover of any of the health professions, when you look at average turnover of a DBM or technician, like it's worse than an MD, it's worse than a registered nurse. They're just, they're horrible. So, you know, if you're losing 50% of your technicians every year because it's not a great workplace environment, like how can you complain that there's not enough people because you can't retain the ones that you have? So, you know, we've got to, we've really got to put that on the table and, and address that. And I think we can, you know, I, I think there's a, a roadmap for us to adapt and transform and it's not recreating the wheel, but it's doing these things that we've talked about so much you and and others around you know, leverage your people more effectively right like if your technician is trained to deliver vaccines then why are you the dvm doing that right like you can do other things and and i understand the desires to keep appointment lengths longer because it feels less less stressful but it, going back to profitability like if you want to grow and and pay your people more if you're holding back the the number of business that you can take on, that's going to affect those numbers and your ability to do that. And 
bet you some practice down the street who you're in comp- competition with is going to figure this out and do what needs to be done in order to support both well-being and profitability. Because you know, economics and people they do go hand in hand. They're not they're not at tuggle with one another. They, they're the two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So so doing that in a way that's you know effective and efficient and delivers you know good well-being and good wages and earnings to your people as well as delivering. Uh, the best care possible to, to clients while while growing as a business. I think we can do all three of those things. That sounds great. I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, Dr. Matt Saloy, where, uh, where can people learn more about the VMG groups? Where can they find you online? Yeah, great. So you can learn more about uh, uh, us at our website, veterinarystudygroups.com. Uh, learn about what we do, what makes us special and how we can help you as a practice owner. Uh, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I post uh, not as frequently as I used to, but occasionally I pontificate about the economy and data and throw in an occasional dad joke here and there too. That sounds fantastic. Thanks for being here. Hey guys, uh, you guys take care of yourself. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks, Andy, so much. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, if you did, the kindest thing you can do is leave me an honest review where you get your podcasts, uh, especially Apple Podcasts is where a lot of people find it. If you're watching our video on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button. If you're like, what videos on YouTube? That's right. You can watch uh, Conan Shane videos on YouTube. They're the Conan Shane YouTube channel. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.